Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Andrew. I'm the outreach and you have found us uh, smack dab in a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a book by a gentleman named Pete Scazzaro, and that's what we've based this sermon series off of. And the subtitle for the book is, You Cannot Be Spiritually Mature and Emotionally Immature. That is not possible that these realities cannot coexist. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. And before I jump into uh, the sermon, I, at, during worship, I just felt like God was kind of giving me a couple thoughts uh, that I wanted to share. And I have a question for everybody. I want you to raise your hand if you have experienced pain. And my hope is that everybody in here raises, your ha- raises their hand. Because pain is just a part of life. And, and my question is, is during those moments of pain, what did your prayers look like? Because my guess is that they were something like, God, if you would just do this, and if you would just take this away, and if you would just give me this, and if this circumstance would happen, I would just leave the pain or the circumstances that I'm going through. And the reality is, is that part of spiritual maturity and emotional maturity doesn't look like just running away from our pain. That perhaps God has you right where you're supposed to be, right in the season of life that you're supposed to be in. And the goal really isn't just to escape it. The goal isn't just to run away from it, but that God actually might have something for you in it, that he might speak to you in it. And I think the journey towards maturation kind of looks like, God, what are you trying to show me in this season? What are you trying to speak to me? How are you trying to reveal yourself to me? Because I think that all too often in the church, we have this belief that when we experience pain, we're supposed to get out of it as fast as possible. And that's just kind of like our level of emotional maturity. And I think that they can be the greatest teaching points, the greatest lessons that we can learn in life. And that God has you in it specifically, and he's going to speak to you. And part of it is just turning ourselves towards him. And listening to him. So before we get started, I, I would like to just open us in prayer. And Lord, we, we come before you. And like the psalmist says, would you search us and know our hearts? Would you test us and know our anxious thoughts? Would you lead us away from any offensive way that might be in our life into the way everlasting. So God, we come before you probably distracted. Probably 
kind of things on our mind, things to get done, worries that we have. And in these moments, could you search us and know our hearts? And could we put it all before you? And could you speak to us and would we listen? I think that's our heart's desire that we would encounter you, the living God. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message, enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Loss is a very inevitable part of life, and I'm sure if you've been around for very long, you've realized this. I've had to realize in my short years that growing older, an inevitable part of growing up is hair loss. There was a point in time where people would call me sunshine. I had uh, some really nice golden locks, and uh, I've had to realize that I'll probably never get them back. Uh, my wife often tells me that dur- when, during my times of reminiscing that college football Andrew has died. <laughs> Even though in my heart I still wish it was a reality. You know, they were the glory days, the good days. <sighs> Loss is an inevitable part of life. I'm sure many of you had had dreams of what your future would look like, of what your family would look like. And it didn't turn out that way. I'm always amazed when I scroll through my Facebook feed and I see an old friend who at one time was my best friend, and I'm like, I haven't talked to him in 15 years. Friends change. Life changes. We lose things that once were. Some things can be a little bit more trivial than others. Sometimes loss feels a bit more catastrophic. Suicide. Death of a loved one. Divorce. An affair. Loss is a very real part of life. Maybe it was a career, and you finally had reached the pinnacle, or you had your financial security. You had everything figured out, and then it's gone. And my guess is, is that when we lose these things, is that we oftentimes lose the God that we thought that we knew. Does that make sense? We lose the God that we thought that we knew, and I'm going to tie that together. But what I want to explore today is not why do bad things happen to good people? Why do you experience pain or loss? Why does life hurt so bad sometimes? It's not what we're here to talk about. But loss is a reality. And following Jesus is not an escape. It's not an escape. It's not running away from our pain, our loss, our grief, our suffering. But I believe that it's an absolute commitment to it. It's a commitment to it. And so if you'll open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. 
Not Luke, John chapter 11 is where we're headed. Uh, raise your hand if you need a Bible. I'd love if you, if you don't have one, if you would grab one, I think it would be really good to kind of follow through in this narrative. So raise your hand if you need one. Ushers will get it to you. John chapter 11. So the way this story begins, there's a couple of characters. There's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary and Martha have written a letter that le- about Lazarus. He's fallen sick. Perhaps he's dead. And they write a letter and it says, the one whom you love is sick. And they send it off on a two-mile journey from Bethany to Jerusalem. And they give, it, it, Jesus receives it. And Jesus does this thing that completely makes sense is once he gets it, he waits four days to go and visit. Because that's what, what you do, right? When It's just two miles. doesn't have a, book, a flight to book. doesn't have to drive across the country. doesn't have to get on a donkey and ride all the way across the, the Middle East. It's two miles. It waits four days. And we pick up in verse 17. And it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. How familiar does that sound? God, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And what if we ended the story right there? You know, I believe that one of the privileges that we have in reading the Scriptures and being able to look back at these testimonies and accounts and stories is that we get to see the conclusion. We get to see the resolution. But how much of life is lived in the resolution? Very, very little. Most of life is lived in this in-between. This moment of, God, if you would have been here, that wouldn't have happened. Almost all of life is lived in the in-between. And I call it, you can't jump to the resurrection. You can't jump to the resurrection because so much of life is lived in the in-between. So much of life is lived without resolution, is lived in the uncertainty. And I've, as I've grown older and the longer I've been a Christian, I've realized this is really hard. Like for many of us, we do not have a theology for it. We do not have a theology for the in-between. We do not have a theology for pain. Theology, like as basically explained as it gets, is thoughts about God. And we do not know how to think about God in these moments. 
You know, I realized this when I was in college. I had a pastor. Uh, it's like sophomore, junior year of college, and I became very close with him. And he had a profound impact on my life, my calling into ministry, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he was just a, an amazing individual and had an impact on a lot of folks. And when I was a junior, he died of uh, stage four colon cancer. And something that was so interesting, and this might push a little bit. You, we could talk about it afterwards if you'd like. But something that was really interesting to me about this situation was that after the funeral, instead of throwing a traditional wake, I mean, this was a, a pretty tragic situation, leaving a wife and an eight-year-old and a six-year-old widowed and orphaned. You know, really hard. It shouldn't have happened. And they threw a celebration of life rather than maybe a traditional wake. That it was, you know, we're going to celebrate who Brian was and what God did through him. And at it, everybody was smiling and everybody was happy. And I remember being so confused about it. And in his book, in, in Pete Scazzaro's book, he tells of a very similar circumstance where a Jewish girl went to a Christian funeral and then a celebration of life. And the Jewish gal was so mad and she said to the Christians, do you not have feelings? Do you not know how to mourn? Do you not know how to be sad? That one day we can celebrate his life. Maybe in a week or two we can celebrate his life. But this is sad. This is hard. This feels like it shouldn't have happened. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, Chapter 3, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the sun, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I don't think we know how to do the weeping and the mourning very well. One of the other things that I, that I recognized right away is person after person tried to rationalize why he passed away. Well, he died so that these people could be saved. And he died so that God could get the glory. He died so that this could happen. And I just went, I... I don't know. I feel like you're just trying to find resolution to why this happened. Are you with me right now? We just don't have a theology for it. And I believe that following Jesus is not an escape from our pain. But it's a commitment to it. We jump back into this scene with Martha. Lord, Martha said, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And this is just a really honest response to pain, isn't it? Like, let's blame it on somebody else. Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But what about five years later? 
And 10 years later, and 15 years later, and 20 years later, you all know that person who's still blaming it on somebody else, who's built up that shell, that defense mechanism that it's their fault. Or maybe they're a victim. You know, I think that some of the most common ways that we deal with pain is through denial. Put these up on the screen. Blaming others. Minimizing the effect that they actually had on us. Really isn't that big of a deal. You know, it's, it's just, it's what life is. It's the way it goes. It's how things are. Blaming yourself. Building up this entire story of you being the victim. And everybody feels bad for you. We're trying to rationalize it. Trying to make sense of why it happened when really it just doesn't make sense. And I think one of the most prominent ways in North America that we have learned to deal with pain is we just distract ourselves from it. We have screens, we have TVs, we have our cell phones, and they just numb us. We work 70-hour weeks. Mothers, we're busy at home doing all the chores that we lay down at night, and we have not felt a thing because we've been so busy, busy, busy. Let me make this a little more uncomfortable. There's porn addictions. We eat too much. We drink too much. We have an, uh, just an outbreak in opioid addictions. We take pills to cover up our pain, to try to get away from our pain. You want to know why? Because we have no theology for it. But following Jesus is not an escape from these realities, but it's a commitment to them. And I believe that Jesus meets us in the midst of our pain. So for me, 25 years old, like what in the world do I know about pain and suffering? Wouldn't blame you if you were thinking that. Uh, I, had, I had a really great relationship with my dad growing up. Me and my dad, you know, I looked up to him a ton. He was an entrepreneur, had his own company, had great rapport in this kind of small community that I grew up in. And I remember just thinking my dad is my hero. And one of my best memories that I have of me and my dad is we had just finished getting dinner, and I remember I was, I was just a kid, and this is probably the first time I'd ever gelled my hair. And I also had just gotten a new outfit. And I remember walking outside with my dad, and I remember looking up at him, and I said, Dad, do I look cool? And he looked down at me, and he was like, you look cool. It's also coupled with a memory of when I got into high school. I remember my dad stumbling down the stairs and saying, Andrew, your mom's kicking me out. Developed really bad drinking problems, slurring over his words, but he said, but before I go, let me show you that it's not my fault. Brings me upstairs 
exposes my mom's dark secrets, addiction, pills, paraphernalia, and then he's gone. And I left too. And I remember, remember very vividly getting in my car and driving to the grocery store parking lot, and I just wept. And all I wanted was for the feeling to go away. All I wanted was for the feeling to go away. And so through high school, through college, even to this very day, my whole Christian journey has kind of been like a building up a wall so I don't have to deal with that. And my dad, we've kind of gone back and forth in relationship, out of relationship, and it comes up every time we're together. It wasn't my fault. It's been 10 years. It wasn't my fault. Your mom did this. Built up this whole narrative, this shell is what I like to call it, this defense. Can't get to his heart anymore. It's locked away because it's trapped inside this shell. It wasn't my fault. My dad has lost his job. He's got an alcohol addiction. He's lost his kids, his relationships, everything. It wasn't my fault. And it was about, I don't know, a couple months before my wedding. I got married about a year ago. I called my dad and I was really wrestling, like, do I even want to invite him? Like, he hasn't been involved in my life, didn't go to my graduations, wasn't there for anything. Do I really want to invite him to my wedding? And I called him and, you know, I was trying to reconcile things. And I remember <clears throat> very, very clearly God saying to me while I was on the phone, and it just hit me. You're never going to get that old dad back. But I still love him. And it just shattered for me. And I realized that my entire like last 10 years has been this desire to get that old dad back. To have that moment where it's like, yeah, you look cool. I approve of you. So I did the best I could in sports, and I did the best I could in school, and I started my own organization, and I tried to be successful so I could get that approval again. And for me, I had built up this entire shell where I didn't want to trust anybody. I didn't want to let anybody in because you want to know what? I am never going to let anyone hurt me like that again. I never want to feel that pain. And when I felt like God say that to me, that moved me to my core, that God wants to meet us in these experiences. God wants to meet us in our pain. Why? Because he wants us to experience resurrection life. He wants us to experience the good life. He wants us to experience the abundant life that he came to offer. But so many of us have sold ourselves short in a way to protect ourselves from ever feeling that hurt 
again. So through my experience, I have learned three things about pain and following Jesus. Number one, turning towards our pain is counterintuitive. Turning towards our pain is counterintuitive. We all understand intuition, like the things that we do just at a gut-level reaction. And I'll tell you what, at a gut-level reaction, like when we have to make a, a decision just on the snap of our fingers, we don't turn towards our pain. We protect ourselves from feeling that hurt. Number two, the only way to find life is through death. And Jesus modeled that for us. The only way to find life is through death, is going back into those wounds, those places of pain, that there's resurrection life on the other side, but you can't circumvent it. You can't short-circuit it. And the pathway to resurrection goes through suffering. Jesus said that in this world, you will, you will, you will, you will, you will, you will have trouble. But I've overcome the world. Take heart, because I have overcome the world. That the pathway to resurrection goes through suffering. Following Jesus is not an escape from our pain, but an absolute commitment to it. If we pick up at the story, we won't end there. Verse 23 Martha then says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask, she says to Jesus. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Martha had this picture in her head, this outcome of how it was going to be. I know he'll rise, rise again in the last day. Jews had a belief in a resurrection from the dead similar to how we would how we do in Christianity. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into this world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was standing outside it where him and Martha had met. When the Jews who had been there with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell to his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And that is where we will end the story. And I would encourage you to read it all. But I would encourage when you read the scriptures, don't jump to the resurrection. Don't jump to the conclusion. 
when we're going through hardship, when we're going through pain, suffering, just a circumstance that we don't really want to be in. I've seen that in a lot of Christian traditions. They say like, you know, if you're in a bad circumstance, if you're in poverty, if you're in pain, if you are suffering, God doesn't want that. So if you just have more faith and believe and believe and believe, it'll work out the way you want it to. I just think that's kind of bogus. Because I believe that it's not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the object of your faith. It's not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the object of your faith. Because you want to know what? That strength that you put all of your faith in, that strength, that actually becomes the object. That you've created your own God. And your God looks like the outcomes that you desire. Your God looks like this way that you want things to be. And I think one of the hardest things to do is to actually trust God with the outcomes and to place him as the object of your faith. It is scary as it gets, but it's what he invites us into. It's kind of a heavy message. Sorry about that. Will gave me the book, uh, chapter to preach on. This isn't part of my sermon, but, you know, one of my thoughts is that I think so often we just try to deal with these things on our own. We just try to run off and deal with them on our own, and then we'll come back to the church when we have it figured out. But if you look to your left and to your right, do it. Paul calls this the family of faith. And there is no other place on earth, I believe, that you are supposed to run towards to work these things out. We are a family. We are supposed to expose these things to one another, share them with one another, and hold them together. So don't run when we have these moments of pain, but look to your left and to your right, because I know that everybody in here is going through things. Everybody in here wants to be there for one another. Sometimes you just got to take that step of vulnerability. Following Jesus does not, not, not an escape from our pain and suffering, but a commitment to it. Will you stand? We'll worship.